I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. Behind every great man stands a great political strategist. As far as political earthquakes go, Donald Trump's victory in November 2016 was at least an eight on the Richter scale. Right up until the last second, no one saw it coming. But a few people were probably less surprised than most of us. And one of them is surely Steve Bannon. Considered by many to be the architect of Trump's rise to the White House, Bannon is certainly a controversial figure. To most, he's either the despicable leader of the alt-right or the savior of American pride and nationalism. And to the rest, he's an enigma. Luckily, though, we've got Gadi Taub. About a month ago, Dr. Taub, a senior lecturer at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, was able to sit down for about two hours with the man himself. You can find his in-depth analysis piece on the Haaretz website. Although Bannon's been dismissed from the administration, it seems that he might be the key to understanding the currents of change that took place and that are continuing to take place in America, as well as the Jews' place in all this mess. We're thrilled to welcome back Gadi to the podcast to disambiguate Bannonism once and for all. <laughs> This podcast is made in collaboration with The Jewish Journal. But before we get to Steve Bannon, um, what do you think about, how do you call it in English? The Nash, nation the law? Nation law? The nation state law, yeah. Nation state law. Are you pro-law, against the law? Um, I'm not against what's in it. I was not for enacting it because it was clear that it would spark uh, controversy despite the content being less than controversial. It changed nothing. Um, though it's very easy to present it as an attack on minorities, and especially, by the way, to Americans, because American national identity is a unique creature which uh, does not care about your past, because being American is all about the common future, not the common past. So Americans tend to misunderstand this, but Israel's um, constitutional structure, including its um, uh, treatment of minorities, is the exact structure of democratic nation states in Europe, which have a, a national identity and a national character, with the exception of France. France is the um, uh, formal state of all its citizens, because if you have a French passport, you are of French nationality, which means that you cannot preserve your nationality in France as a citizen. So France is the and most... And religion has no place in France. This is it, it, theoretically, but it, it's been structured to um, accommodate basically Catholics. Mm -hmm. So when other religions come, the question arises, what is their claim on the public sphere? And France says nothing. And sometimes this means, you know, that they're now um, um, uh, banning uh, Jewish... Uh, symbols from the the public sphere too. So if you're not going to be able to wear a burqa, you're not going to be able to wear a kippah mm -hmm. also, or you can wear it on, only under your hat, or I don't know how this will work out. But well, most, we don't want to be like the French. No, not <laughs> at all. Most, In any way. Mo if we adopt the French model here, what it would mean is we would have to abolish the Arab-speaking school system. Because in Israel, since it treats its minorities fairly, um, 
it grants members of the minority not just individual um, political and, and uh, uh, civil rights, but also the ability to protect their separate identity at the expense of the public. So there's a, a state-financed school system in Arabic. Now, the nation-state bill doesn't change any of that. And people don't understand... Except... Except... The part which says that the state can prioritize building and development of, of settlements or of villages for Jews and not for other minorities. Minorities. It, it, doesn't, say, it doesn't say not for other minorities. It says it, it, says says it will prioritize for Jews. It, no, it says that Jewish settlement within Israel is a value. Now there's been will a be huge prioritized in resources. Right? That's it's, what it, it says. It says that, no, it says that this is a Zionist value. Now, this has been a Zionist value from the start. Listen, we have many things that, in the, in the structure of the Israeli nation states, like the law of return, which favors Jews in immigration. Right. Um, many European countries have laws of return, by the way. And the European Union that debated this decided that it is a reasonable thing to do for any nation with a diaspora. And w with the Jewish history as we know it, there's, there, there are good reasons, not just for us, but also for the Jewish diaspora, uh, that, this, that this law stays in place. But this law is a reasonable law for a nation state, and it's not me saying this. This is the European Union saying this. And if you look at the structure, the, the constitutional structure without a constitution that Israel has, including this, la this latest bill. This bill has not canceled other parts of our so-called constitution or basic laws, which, which grant um, uh, uh, liberty and human dignity to all. So I have to stop you here again, because I, uh, what I understood talking to some, mm, I don't know, like lawyers and people who know about the law, because I'm ignorant, I'm not a lawyer, I didn't study it. There is a thing that is called, I mean, the, the newer laws are prioritized um, and the older laws have less value. I didn't know about that. That's not true. That's not true. This is, and this is up to the courts. And the courts... That's what I was and, thought, and the courts are on the other side. Not. The, 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 that's what the courts think, certainly. Because what people don't understand outside Israel is that this nation-state uh, law came into being because the uh, radical progressive wing has consistently attacked the Jewish character of the state using the, another basic law, human uh, liberty and dignity. And so this became dangerous because at one point, um, when there was the question of family unification, uh, the court was split and the, pre the, the uh, chief justice, Aaron Barak, supported family unification, which would have been a massive right of return for Palestinians into Israel. You can imagine, it's better to live in Israel than in the territories. Right. So anyone would have found a bride and became, become automatically an Israeli citizen. And so the right became hysterical that the courts are, with, with, with authority that the courts um, took for themselves, it's not in any law that enables them judicial review, but using their judicial review and their almost limitless idea of what interpretation is, they, or the right felt, they were attacking the right of Jews to self-determination. Now, you can imagine for Zionists, the right of self-determination for Jews is the most precious thing the Jewish people achieved in 2,000 years. Right. So if the uh, radical progressives are going to attack that, they are going to meet 
meet with fierce opposition, and this is what happened. So what, what I was not for enacting this law because you can see what, what's happening. Now some people think that Jewish is opposed to democratic, and democratic is opposed to Jewish, and you have to choose between the two. While the state of Israel, like most nation states, is an embodiment of the right of self-determination, which combines a national character and a democracy, because when you take a majority that is Jewish, then what you will get is a Jewish nation state. The state will speak the language of the Jewish people, our, the Jewish holidays would be our calendar, and... Uh, people don't uh, have problem with these part of the law, I think. I think the most problematic part that uh, at least people take issue with is the... Uh, is the, the section language? which says uh, the, that the Jews are the uh, have the sole right to uh, self determination in the land of Israel? That that. But I do. No, I, no it I, does I, not say that. It does not say in the land of Israel. It says in the state of in Israel. In the state of Israel. That's a big difference yeah, because yeah, yeah. the law doesn't doesn't rule out the idea that in this in the land of Israel there would be another state where nobody doubts that only the Palestinians would have the right to self determination because in a state only one people has the right to self determination unless we unless annex, you want unless, unless we annex the unless, unless you certainly, but that's that's not the purview of the law. But it unless makes it unless much you easier want to annex. it, it doesn't change one iota the the ability to annex. It doesn't uh, uh, let the state now annex anything because the law uh, 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 relates only to the state of Israel, not to its territorial holdings outside the state of Israel. To me, it seems like the the most uh, I don't know the, like the cognitive dissonance that's taking place is that people don't aren't able to reconcile the idea that Judaism isn't just a religion. I think most people see Judaism as a religion, so they can't see it as well. You know, France and Germany and uh, even the United States. Every uh, every uh, um, sovereign democratic state has its own uh, has its own like. Um, Uh, standards for defining who is a citizen and who becomes a citizen and the Jewish state has that same right to define who is a citizen and who becomes a citizen it's just that here you have to be a Jew like in America you have to be an American if you're not an American you don't have the same but civil rights but that existed rights. for 70 years already but, but the state of Israel is Jewish in the same sense that Italy is Italian not in the same sense that Italy is Catholic exactly and its definition of Judaism look we don't have a state We don't have a state religion. People don't know this. Israel does not have an official state church and does not have an official religion. Um, a lot of But democracies um, a lot of democracies do. England has an Anglican church. Greek has the uh, Eastern Christian Orthodoxy in the, enshrined in the cost, Constitution, which begins with the words in the name of the, I forget, the indivisible Trinity, something like that. So there are democracies that have a state religion. We do not. Uh, I come from both sides of my family, from um, both my mother and my father were complete atheists. My mother's side was, was Shomer Tzair, uh, which were not almost even... Almost communist. Uh, not <laughs> almost. Socialist, yeah. They, they, the, as Marxists, they couldn't yeah. pronounce the name of God. You had to say, the, you know how to say God in 
and he Orthodox, must not be named. Mark, Marxism, it's like Judaism, right? You can't say the name it's like of Harry that. Potter. <laughs> they call it the great abstract. So they try to wow. take God out of all the, the, that's so, the, the, the Jewish texts. That's so Marxist. But, but, what, but, you know, Italy also has a national minority. The national minority has no right of self-determination in Italy. Only the Italian people have a right to mm -hmm. self-determination in Italy. But you will find Muslims, like third generation of Italian Muslims, who will tell you, I'm an Italian. You won't find the third generation Arab-Israeli who would say I'm Jewish. No, but, but I'm not sure you would find a third generation Austrian in South Tyrol, in the north of Italy, saying that they are completely Italian, because they speak another language. And the anthem, the Italian anthem was originally uh, a song of victory over Austria. So I'm not sure they're comfortable with the anthem but, either. So we have not invented the problem of national minorities. By the way, states of all their citizens in the pure way, like the United States or like France, don't allow for national minorities. So if in America you want not to be some subsection of being American, but being non-American, Americans don't even have a category for it. So when they meet, if you say... I am They're a nation of Ins Islam. Uh, you, will, you will find the Americans baffled or sometimes aggressive, or at the end, maybe you will meet the House Un-American Activities Committee because they have no categories for any identity that's not also American. So, touche to them. I mean, they, they, they have invented an Im immensely flexible system, but still you have to be within the common identity. Israel allows for the minority to preserve its separate identity. And what we saw in the demonstration against, uh, against the law uh, just uh, yesterday was that some of these people in the name of equality have been taken for a ride by, by people who, for whom democracy is a stepping stone to the destruction of the Jewish state. Like Balad, Israel is uniquely tolerant. We have in our parliament a party that supported the enemy at the time of war, that contrary to the law does not recognize the right of the majority to self-determination, and we still allow it. And member, a member of this party, you know, you know, Hanin Zuebi, if someone would have acted like her in the United States, uh, participated in an anti-American flotilla and clashed with the Navy SEALs, she would not just not be back in parliament she would not be back at home right. she would be in jail if not killed in, 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 yeah yeah but, but all the <laughs> home <laughs> but all that doesn't justify discrimination in the law from one from jewish settlement or village to an arab settlement in village and now theoretically you can stop budgeting um Arab villages, and you if cannot, you go to the court... You cannot, because they can appeal to the court, and the court will rule it out. And let me tell you something well, else. This government... I guess I we're going to find not, out. I, I didn't vote for this government, but this government did for Arab citizens of Israel... That's true. ...more than any government in the history of Israel. That's so apart true. from $15 the, billion dollars the, in investment. It's, it's shekel, I think. Uh, shekel. And, and it's not only that. They changed the mechanism of allocation, because they are thinking long-term how to advance... Um, um, the uh, the whole Arab sector, so they tr they're treating in in terms that's of true. infrastructure. So you see, they have this bill that sounds so that has been made so nationalistic and fascist. People are saying an apartheid and other bollocks, while it has been working quietly. So are you happy advance. with the law? Or are no, you, I, I'm, I, I'm I'm confused here. I'm, like I said, and it's a I know it's a confusing stance, and I've been arguing about it for the ever since the law uh, was enacted. Um, 
I'm not against the content. I think that enacting it created a divisive uh, dynamics and it gave our enemies an easy victory. So would you but cancel you know, it? I, think I, wonder, Every, I wouldn't cancel it. This no. goes back to what we were talking about before the podcast, before we started recording. And I wonder if maybe that's the side of you that kind of is non-confrontational. The diet? And non, no, no, no. How the we, side of me that's non-confrontational. Yes, yes, yes. Because, because I before, to meet that side of before me. we spoke, you said, you know, I'm not trying anymore to say things in a nice way that will be understood and heard by the other side i'm just going to say it as is so maybe this is part of it maybe there is we should stop kind of uh you know kowtowing or tiptoeing around the other side and just say what we are and maybe that's the that's maybe you're saying there's no practical implications to the law but maybe the uh the practical implications is that the other side is now aware of what the uh of what the i'm i'm like maybe maybe it is fascist (laughs) um but uh, but that the other side is aware of what the uh, uh, nature of this state is and, and, and where we stand. This is, you know, the hard right is saying that. They're saying good. Now we saw the real faces of the Labour Party. They are really merits, not to say the joint list of the, the Ballad and the Arabs. They are... They, we made them choose between Bibi and Tibi. I'm not sure your listeners know that, but mm-hmm. Ahmad Tibi is a prominent anti-Jewish state, uh, member of Knesset uh, from the Arab joint list, and Bibi is our, our um, prime, prime minister. minister yeah. So they said, now we made you choose between Often anti-Zionism confused. and Zionism. Yeah. And you could see that the Labour Party eventually, initially did not realize the risk. And this was one of my first posts on Facebook after they started their apartheid screams, which, are, which were ridiculous. And I, and I, I said... Um, you've you've just voted against what there is in the bill because of what isn't in the bill. Now, what isn't in the bill, equality and uh, and, and uh, human rights for all and everything else, is anchored at least in the in another basic law. Mm-hmm. But now you have voted against the right of Jews to self determination, and this will cost you very very dearly in the mm-hmm. next election. Their situation is, and we should good. clarify for our listeners though, that Israel doesn't have anything like a constitution. What we have is basic laws. And so these, there is one for uh, uh, the Kvod uh, Adam, the honor of... Uh, human civil, dignity and human liberty. Di- yeah. And then this is another basic law that has been enacted. But I think we got a bit off course. Yeah. I mean, uh, let's segue. I think... I think it's an easy segue, segue because Steve Bannon is... Uh, seen, a nationalist. Yeah, is seen as kind of this flag bearer for nationalism and for this side of the uh, the equation. He's certainly How- not for sugarcoating anything. <laughs> yeah. How did you get, like, why did you want to interview him in the first place? Look, and how did it happen? When, when these elections were, um, when the election campaign was going on, I told all my friends, don't worry, Trump is a clown. He will never make it to the White House. Forget it. This is nonsense. Um <laughs> And I'm, my PhD is in American history, so people trusted me. And then he got elected, and I said, I couldn't get my head around it, so right. I started reading. The first piece I read was a great piece in the, in the, in the um, it was the Washington Post, I think, uh, Muslim woman who voted for Trump. And you remember her name? And, uh, no, no, but you could, it was two days after the election, so it's easy to... Wow. E- easy to find and she she was angry at the obama administration she said you are not you can't even pronounce 
Islamic terrorism. What are you more afraid of, Islamophobia or terror? Where is your head? And, and she said, I'm a Muslim. I come from these countries. I know them. I know how they treat women. I know, I know their jihads. And you're not even saying this because you want to be, it's more important to be polite than to solve problems. You're going to drive us into the hands of these crazies. So that was the first step. And then I wrote a piece for, for Haaretz. Um, um, I wrote one before the elections saying Trump would not be, um, would, would not win the elections, don't worry, but the, the identity politics are going to cost the Democrats dearly. And apparently I didn't understand how dearly uh, it would cost. And then there was the Mark Lilla piece, which everyone read in the New York Times, it called The End of Identity Politics. You can search it on the um, New York Times website. And he said, folks, this was our mistake. This, this was the problem. And so I started digging into this. Um, and then I started reading about Bannon. And I began to suspect that the way the liberal media portrays him as this archdemon is at least exaggerated. And from the little snippets that I managed to see through all the blood in the eyes and, you know, the out outraged piece, there was a great headline in the, in the Onion. It's from the Bush days saying, liberal dies of outrage fatigue. So <laughs> people were so busy being outraged, they weren't listening. So, <laughs> so, I, so I said, what if I managed to get to this guy? So I said to the editor of the magazine in Haaretz. When was that? Um, that was two, three months ago. I see, okay. I said, uh, would you be interested in an interview with Stephen Bannon? Um, and he said, yes. And I said, uh, okay, I'll try. <laughs> I didn't have any leads or anything. And then I reached out to uh, uh, a woman journalist uh, who my friend knows, and she writes for Breitbart uh, News. Uh, and then I started reading about all these people. And, and I asked her if she, could, uh, um, if she has the contact info. And she was, in the beginning, I'm not surprised, she was suspicious. Mm -hmm. Haaretz... What kind of trap is this? Um, and, and I assured her, I, well, I said, I'm, I promise you I'm going to be fair. I can't promise you that I'll be favorable, but I'll be fair. I want to hear what he says. Not, I'm not going to preach him. Mm -hmm. um, and so she made the connection, and he was excessively polite, but noncommittal. He said, sure, yes, but I couldn't. He's f f infamous for being disorganized. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't reach him. I, 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 I couldn't nail an appointment. I couldn't even get him to say in what city. Right. Um, he, he came back from... It's uh, like Tinder, only... <laughs> only not like Tinder. Only, yeah. Uh, so... So I, in the end, I was ready to pack up and leave. I was in the States for a conference. And then I stayed some extra days in New York, for which Aritz are not reimbursing me for the time. So the, this, this interview cost me a lot of money. Okay. I lost Guys a lot of money. Guys in Aritz, please. <laughs> yes. Uh, Pity. And, uh, and as I was getting ready to pack, on the last day, I get a... Um, a, an email from Alexandra Priat. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing her name right. I only know it from reading. Probably Priat. Priat. Really American. Uh, yeah, but she was very nice. She said, uh, "What is the subject of your piece, if I may ask?" And I, I said, "It's Steve Bannon." Um, and then um, he, one of his uh, people, uh, uh, Rahim Kassam, who was also involved in the Brexit. And Nigel Farage and all that, um, and, and he 
he wanted me to he was very nice but he wanted me to send the questions uh which i did but i said i'm not i i can't guarantee that these are the only things i'll ask but these are the things i plan to ask and and then i came to washington for for the, they set it up i came mm -hmm. to washington i met rahim outside uh smoking uh, i'm an ex-smoker we had a lot to talk about he's a really nice guy right um and and they they let me into the breitbart embassy as this place is called uh -huh. it's a stone throws a stone's throw away from the supreme court you can actually see the supreme court uh so uh, tell us because um, i'm sure you've done a ton of reading on him and you've probably read all his books and uh, tell us a bit about the man who who is the man Steve you Bannon. expected to meet no, but and let's then, let's get yeah. a bit of a background on okay. him. Who who is he? Where did he start from? Well, was he spawned from Satan himself, or was he actually born to humans? I, I think he may have been adopted by Satan. <laughs> but we don't, uh, uh, he came from Richmond. This is a cocktail that does not make anyone an optimistic liberal. So it starts in Richmond, Virginia, the capital <laughs> of the Confederacy. Uh, he went to a a Catholic school where he got a classic education, a thorough one. He's a well-read man. Uh, and then uh, it was a, a military school. So then he went to the Navy and he served in the Pacific for, I think, seven years it is, um, where he saw, first he had the f um, first imp person impression of, of uh, radical Muslim countries, not Arab countries, though. It was mainly Iran and Pakistan. And this frightened him greatly. He thought there was, and he was right that there was a population boom. He thought there is, he's Huntingtonian, basically, a class of civilizations, a clash of civilizations. We are not, it's not going to be easy with these guys. This is, there's deep hostility. The terms in which he understands them are Judeo Christian culture versus the uh, Chinese culture on the one hand, Confucian cu culture and Islamic culture on the other hand. And I, and I must say, you know, choosing between the um, Clinton Fukuyama and uh, Reagan Huntington, it seems that Reagan and Huntington were more right. There are some things that it will be, you, you cannot just accommodate. You have to put up resistance against. So that was, and he saw the Carter administration with its fumbled attempt to free the hostages. And he said, this is when he turned hawkish. Right. And he was boots support. on the ground. He was uh, based. It, boots on the water. On the water, uh, yeah. Uh, basically, he was in a submarine hunter. Um, Not uh, far, though, from... From Iran? No, not far at all. They were they they were actually there when the Navy SEALs were practicing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you use words swear words yeah, yeah, on the sure. podcast, but he said I could see it was going to be a goat fuck. Um, <laughs> this so... wasn't in an interview, I think. He didn't. <laughs> no, it. no, it's no, it's in the it's actually in the Green Book. He, he, it's not something okay. he said to me. Okay. Uh, the, there's a great book by Joshua Green, which is very hostile but still very intelligent. Uh -huh. And he sort of identified Steve Bannon very early on, and he wrote for um, uh, Newsweek Business, I think it was. He wrote a piece. This man is the most dangerous political operative in America. Okay. And this was before Steve Bannon was anyone anybody knew um and then he that he, he was a uh, a banker at wall street at goldman sachs he land, he, he studied at harvard a uh, business school um and graduated with distinction and then had a job at goldman sachs and then started producing movies he became vice president of goldman sachs i mean he was 
he rose the the ranks there. He it's not just... it's not clear, and I didn't ask how much money he made, but um, th- there are different versions of this. Apparently, yeah. he can support himself, um, and he started making movies, and then he was greatly encouraged by Sarah Palin and the Tea Party. And he thought for a while that Sarah Palin is going to be it. And he made a movie about her. And then... It, is that the uh, In the Face of Evil or something? No, In the Face of Evil is his Reagan movie. Ah, yeah, I don't yeah. remember the name of the Sarah Palin movie. Um, but then she did, she was a disappointment. And he, and he started working behind the scenes on what Hillary Clinton called a massive right-wing conspiracy against me. And to the extent that there was a conspiracy, Steve Bannon was the conspirator. <laughs> and and he was backed up by the money of the Mercers. Um, Who are the Mercers? The, 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 Robert Mercer is a, bi- a billionaire, a huge billionaire. Jewish or non-Jewish? I, no, he's not Jewish, I think. Uh, and he... Um, Shucks. He is... He, the, the fact that we have Google Translate is largely due to his conception of how con- computers will be able to translate. Statistically, instead of Chomsky-like understanding the rules of language, he said, forget the rules. Just feed them amount, a, ma- a great amount of translations and they'll figure it out. Right. And so he did this. And then he set up a firm in Wall Street that said, we can scientifically tell you what to invest in by a computer program algo trading that that would pick that would pick uh, hidden um, um, trends or trends yeah and he did and he became this huge billionaire mm-hmm. and he supports the extreme right wing he's an intro he never almost never speaks um, and he and, and specifically his daughter is very active uh-huh. and they supported Trump and they supported Peter Schwartz who wrote the book Clinton cash which I people in Israel or at least the readers of the the liberal media have no clue why people why people in America or some of them say Hillary Clinton is corrupt crooked Hillary but crooked but Hillary. once you read Clinton cash it's frightening it's frightening wait more than just the hundreds of thousands of dollars they've taken for speeches around the world like- yes it's much more fr- it, it has to do with the speeches but it's much more frightening and the thing is that the Schwartz book does it's not written in in hysterical right-wing rush limbo lingo it's written in this he doesn't even say corruption he just places States the facts, facts and yeah. and it's just extremely effective the New York Times picked it up and this was you know people are talking now about the Trump collusion with the Russians the uranium one um, scandal in which the State Department approved a deal in which Russians got a hold got hold of American uranium and were at the same time uh, giving bill for a speech half a million dollars and this was the same bank that supported the uh, the stocks of uranium one which needed st- you know these things stink right. to high bill heaven. is bill clinton so so yeah the so husband friend, of, you know we're friends yeah so, yeah <laughs> we're the on the first term basis yeah <laughs> so so yeah so he's he he backed this part because he analyzed coolly and he said we are not able to break out of the right-wing ecosystem we are just recycling in our own um, uh, uh, camp and in order to break to the other side's votes we need someone who will talk rationally and carefully and so he put Peter Schwartz 
he had a, a, a prior uh, dealings with Peter Schwartz because Peter Schwartz wrote the book on Reagan, which was the basis for Bannon's film on Reagan. So mm-hmm. he knew him. So And Bannon put him behind... Bannon is behind the book. Yes, yes, yes. With Mercer. Yes, funds. with Mercer backing. The Mercers trusted Bannon greatly. And the book, it's like, I would say, a pillar in the downfall of Hillary. Yeah. She does not mention it in her book, What Happened. She has a book on why she failed to get elected, and the book just repeats the identity politics. It's a book against any soul-searching. It's, <laughs> it's a, a, a numbing, pacifying book. I, I, don't, I actually think she does, but she didn't mention the book, of course, because mm-hmm. this book was... They attacked this book fiercely, and they attacked Peter Schwartz, and, they, but, and the book doesn't mention it. But it, it, it certainly had... An impact on the middle votes, I'm sure. This, and, and, and this was what it was intended to do. But still, Bannon didn't have... He knew Trump, um, but, but he became the, he, the chief strategist. I think it's a term he invented. He became the chief strategist only after the campaign was ready to collapse. And this was the middle of August. 2016. 16. So we're like four months to the election? Yes, and it looks... Like he's going to crash Trump. Mm-hmm. And then... Three uh, months even. And, 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 and then, yeah, three months. And then uh, in comes Rebecca Mercer dramatically in a chopper to... I forget the name of this billionaire guy. The, Woody, the owner of, the, uh, of a baseball team where Trump was... Right, a big hotel in New York, basically, right? In no, no, I think it was a private, in a private uh, um, estate. Okay. And Rebecca Mercer arrives in her chopper, in her helicopter, to say something to Trump personally. And this is, from now on, uh, uh, Steve Bannon and uh, Kellyanne Conway are going to run this campaign. Why does he agree to that? Trump or Bannon? Trump. Um, I think he was... Uh, disheartened and I, I I'm not I haven't found any good description of what happened in that evening and Rebecca Mercer doesn't speak right Woody I forget his name doesn't speak and Trump certainly doesn't speak or you can't trust his version but I think he had a serious talking down to I mean these are the serious financial backers and they it what might have transpired there I'm guessing is if you want our support this is the guy who runs it. From now on. Mm-hmm. And then in comes Steve Bannon, and he understands the dynamic like no one else. He disrupts the campaign in a certain way. Um, the, the Paul Manafort tried to make Trump sound presidential. Uh, Steve Bannon said, do the opposite. Just let Trump be Trump. Because what he understood, and what I tried to say in my piece, and what I find very hard to get across to liberals who are um, uh, busy saving now a sinking worldview of, of political correctness or the hardcore of them are. Um, what he understood is politically correct, political correctness is an impediment, not an advantage. And that Democrats are not understanding that their preaching for, I don't know, gay marriage is just part of what the regular Americans see as elitism, not as helping minority groups or the disenfranchised or the marginalized. So he understands that that all this political correct cleaning of language is a business only the elite is bothered by. And 
he I had a guess on how this worked because I I saw some of his interviews one very angry interview at the American Prospect I mean the journalist was really angry at, at Bannon but still some of it came across and one was the Charlie Rose interview we did with some of which some parts were taken out but he said I want the Democrats to speak about racism I want them to say Trump is racist this is how we will win and he he described it to me dramatically he said when I came into the, the campaign he said Hillary he said got off the beach she was in the Hamptons she took a break the campaign seemed to sail so easily she took a break and he said we come into the campaign and she comes off the beach to give a speech about Steve Bannon and Breitbart and she said basically she said look now we know who Trump is the alt-right are the radical uh, white supremacists um, they're connected to Breitbart Breitbart is Stephen Bannon Bannon is now connected to Trump. Ergo, Trump is a white supremacist. And first of all, I, Steve Bannon is not a white supremacist in my my impression. There's the, the connection to this. The, But the people the, around him, the people who read his... Look, Andrew Breitbart is the exact opposite of a racist. He spent, wasted, wasted his time arguing that against the attempts to smear the right with the racism of the fringe. He's, he spent an inordinate time on this useless endeavor. And certainly you can't, you can, you can't blame him for anti-Semitism. He's Jewish himself. He hired Jews. But the website, though. The website, Breitbart.com, um, is one thing. And Altright.com is something else. Because Altright.com is owned by Richard Spencer, who is a Nazi who is a neo-Nazi, a declared neo-Nazi. So Hillary Clinton tried to, to make all this connection using the term alt-right, which nobody yet knew. But and Breitbart, no one understood. But Breitbart is, uh, is a legitimate uh, source of news. It's, it's not, uh, I don't know, it's not uh, an alt-right. Fundamentalist, it's not a bit radical. It, it is radical on the right. And it, part of its argument is that the mainstream media just shuts out Uh, um, one half of reality and they're going to bring that half and this is you know the drudge report and and uh, the 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 network of am uh, right-wing talk shows this is what steve bannon calls the right-wing ecosystem which he thought they should break out of but what he said about racism was and that caught my eye and after that i, I when i interviewed mark lilla i wrote part of the piece said If I understand correctly, then what Bannon's strategy was for Trump is you will talk about the real problem, which for Bannon is economic. You will say the Mexicans are stealing your jobs. Now, Hillary will not be able to respond in any different way than say, that's a racist remark. And then he'd say, our voters will look at both of them and will say, working Americans. He likes to call them the deplorables. He, he uses this, this, this faux pas by Hillary Clinton all the time. He said the deplorables, he means the people who work. They, they look at one candidate and he's saying something about your problem. 
and he's looking at the other candidate and she's saying it's not nice to talk about your problem. Not unlike the Islamic You're not allowed to talk about your problem. Exactly. Voted for, exactly. Yeah. Because it's the, the same, same thing. The, the, his voters said they were going to, they're going to look at the two candidates and say this guy is going to take care of the problem of Islamic terrorism. This woman says you can't you're not allowed to talk about Islamic terrorism. And he's, it's a no-brainer. And then he said he, he said to the to Josh Josh Green not to me. I picked it up from the book and he said we polarized stuff. We found it doesn't matter. So what did Nobody say? cares about it except the people who already vote for her. Yeah, but what about the fact that most Americans voted, meaning the popular vote went for Hillary? Does that, was that, did, he, did you ask him about that? Did he, does he think that, I mean, like, was that a strategy because they knew that, you know, we're running for the electoral vote? Of course they knew. The, and this, 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 the argue, I'm always suspicions, suspicious about the arguments about the popular vote because a lot of Americans don't go to vote because they already calculate what the their state they say i'm in alabama is, so, so i don't need to vote yeah so if i'm a democrat in alabama or if, if i'm a, if i'm a republican in new york i don't go to vote now i'm not saying that this but that means, would have the opposite effect I, you mean if i'm a republican in alabama i don't need to go vote oh because because, because uh, anyway the, it's going alabama's to, going so already. it has both are true yeah uh, so the so the popular vote is a very tricky thing maybe it might have been that if they had a one-person, one-vote system, that Hillary would take two-thirds. But there, there isn't such a system, and right. so we, we can't, we don't know if the opposite is not true. It wasn't the game that was being played. Yeah, so they they played this game and they played it right. And now Bannon is after she came off the beach, as he said, to give a speech about me. He says, he said, I told them it's over. We will crush her. He said, and he said, I, and he said he told Trump. He said, one hundred percent metaphysical certitude. Haaretz made a, a, a byline out of this, right. a, a headline out of this. One hundred percent metaphysical certitude, you will win. Now consider, everyone thought he would lose. So there's this one guy saying, in all of America, in all, one guy, one guy who said, "Don't worry, you you've won. It's I'm certain." And then and then he's right. And you know, now he told me, this didn't make it into the Aretz piece, he told me, this midterm election is not a midterm election. This midterm election is a vote of confidence about the Trump administration, and he's going to win in a landslide. And you look at the, 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 the polls, and that's not what they say. But hey, he was right once, so maybe this is, you know, the dead clock theory. Mm -hmm. He always says two o'clock, and once a day he's right but you can't completely dismiss it but i i wonder gadi when you went to to do this interview what were you like what were you trying to explore that hasn't been explored yet and did you succeed in your endeavor in in, in i don't know deciphering bannon yes because i the, the the problem was not only asking how on earth did donald trump get elected it was also is there a strategy behind it all? Because you look at what the, the at least the liberal press is, right, nothing but derision. And I have, you know, some ac ac academic friends in the United States, and they're all saying there's nothing, it's just complete lunacy, there's nothing to it. And you talk to Steve Bannon, and he thinks there it's completely coherent. Now, it can't, it can't, Donald Trump's policy. Ah, policy. Po his policy. Yes. So this was the most interesting thing, and I and I can't tell you I can dismiss everything he said, because the the we talked just before the Helsinki summit with Putin, mm -hmm. and I wasn't even aware that 
this is how it was going to turn out. But if I would take him literally at his word, I should have been able to guess what's going on, what's going to be there. What did he, he say? Said, he said, look, enough with this Cold War bullshit. The Cold War is over. We don't need to fight everybody. That's an interesting sentence to hear from Bannon. And we don't have to fight everyone. Um, and the real problem is now there is a new triangle of evil. It is composed of Turkey, Iran, and China. And we should gather the forces of all the Judeo-Christian culture, including, by the way, Israel is one of the first stops in this. The only Judeo in, 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 in Judea. <laughs> yes, except no Brooklyn, other, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so, so, They're uh, fighters in Brooklyn. So there's the Judeo-Christian culture. There's Europe who should be... Um, uh, reprimanded severely for neglecting its duty which it once held against Islam and he thinks in you know the the battle of Tours in the 8th century mm -hmm. um, and and then there are the uh, Asian pro-western democracies Japan South Korea and India and then there are the Arab Sunnis yes yeah, Saudi Arabia uh, yes and we we the West or the West led by this new conception, uh, American conception, should try to create such a coalition to contain this axis of evil. It seems like it's already been created, more or less. The coalition? Yeah. It's not what the press usually says. Right. Um, so the press doesn't... It, 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 I, I haven't seen anyone trying to coherently explain this in the Bannon sense, mm -hmm. of the Judeo-Christian culture versus Islam and, and, the, and the Chinese. But this is all based in, you know, a firm economic analysis. Mm -hmm. um, and the trade war. The trade war, uh, which he thinks should be very aggressive uh, against China if it's not too late. Um, so this idea that, that Trump actually colluded with the Russians prior to the election might not be so far-fetched. I mean, maybe he doesn't see it as collusion. Maybe he sees it as, you know, I Lies. was getting started on, on striking a new uh, He ally. said nothing of the sort. And my impression is he thinks, the, you, the only thing, you know, it's under investigation, a criminal investigation, so he can't speak about it. But what he said, he said, you know, Ted Kennedy, and this is documented, Ted Kennedy went to the Russian ambassador when this was the Soviet Union and said, how do we stop Reagan? How do we cooperate to stop Reagan? This is Ted Kennedy, a senator, and this is the KGB he's speaking to. He's not speaking to Vladimir Putin. He's speaking to the KGB. And Isn't so, it the same thing? But no, it, never mind. It's, uh, yeah. No, it's not the same thing. Uh, because whatever Russia is now, it's not the monster that the United States right. is facing. There is no nuclear face-off with the Russians. Yeah. Um, so why did Trump get rid of this guy who put him in the White House and then, and then not only get rid of him, but say eh, he had nothing to do with it? Uh, yeah, this is, this is uh, vintage Trump, right? Uh, he said Steve Bannon not only lost his job, he lost his mind. He didn't have anything to do with me or my presidency. Anything to do? Um, I think, you know, no chief executive likes someone who hints or is being portrayed as the real puppet Puller master of the string, yeah. yeah so so it, it, I, I don't steve bannon was not careful enough and uh, you know there are quotes from him that 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 are very der, der, derisive of of trump 
And I think he, well, how to put it, he, he did not exactly fight the media image of him as the mastermind. evil architect, the mastermind behind Trumpism. Maybe. I mean, it's kind of peculiar for such an adept political strategist to not foresee these, <laughs> yeah. you know, these things. But maybe, I don't know, maybe he was trying to get painted as this, you know, enigmatic, mysterious puller of the string so that the next election that rolls up, you know who to call. Yeah, I, you know, I, I tend to think that he was a mastermind for an opposition candidate and not so much for an incumbent mm -hmm. because, you know, he, he brought these confrontational strategies who are good for the underdog in an election to the White House. And so the first thing the Trump administration did, if you remember, was a, a, a presidential order um, uh, saying banning, ba banning the, bunch of them. the entry, yes, <laughs> banning the entry of, from uh, seven major Muslim majority countries. Mm -hmm. Now yeah. that that is, uh, he did this Bannon style, aggressively in your face, portrayed as racist and bigot, bigoted, and with, he could have done it completely differently in saying, look, there is a security risk. We don't trust the, 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 the procedure in these seven countries for vetting out terrorists. So for now, we're going to, post to postpone uh, any entries from these countries, which countries do all the time. But no, this was anti-Muslim. This was confrontational. And, and this did not work. And the other people in the Trump team uh, said, I'm tempted to try and imitate Ivanka or J Jared Kushner saying, Melania, Mela saying, <laughs> Dad, this is not good advice. He's getting you into fights you don't need. Mm -hmm. And so there, 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 there were, you know, there are three factions in the White House. And Bannon is a clear ideologue of the extreme anti-institutional Tea Party kind of right wingism in america and he was as opposed to the 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 uh, um, uh, institutionalized republican party as he was to the democratic party so you have reince priebus uh, back then representing the mainstream uh, uh, republican party and you have jared kushner uh, kushner and ivanka trump who Bannon called them, I think at one point, the New York Democrats. It's like they're, and, and these, and these three, they could be anything you want them to be. The, the, and, and, but look, they are all, they, it, it does make sense that they all have a New York sensibility. This is why, you know, Trump is the uh, lost cause, uh, Confederate, uh, white supremacist is I think misleading because these are all New York people. And they, mm -hmm. uh, so he, he mistrusted them. And uh, and th these three factions were fighting for the president's ear, as, by the way, happens in every White House. There is vicious doggy dog war over who gets walk-in privileges to the Oval Office. And this, you know, the Nixon administration, I'm telling you, might have been worse because everything was slippery and topsy-turvy and the... The Germans, as they call him, Elderman and Ehrlichman, were guarding the door, and 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 Kissinger was fighting for his share, and he, so this swirls around every president. But this president has very short temper and is very unpredictable, uh, and so th this fight was going on, and Bannon was gradually 
pushed out because I think the others felt, and maybe Trump too, that his confrontational um, uh, tactics are not good for the uh, administ- for running an administration as they were for running a campaign. Before we go, there's one thing I have to ask. When you read the interview, when you read the quotes, there's something that uh, I, that one might feel, and you sat with him for two hours. Is he on the spectrum? Not at all. He's, uh, he's nothing like Trump. He, is, um, he has a great sense of humor. He's very charismatic. He uh, commands the room and assumes that he's the smartest guy around. Um, and he's, he, we, we didn't talk about the, the, the main issue, I think maybe one word about what he kept repeating, is that it's all the economy, stupid. This was the two, uh, 2008 crash, and then the state saved the banks that crashed. And who paid? Who is the state? The deplorables. They paid. They lost their mortgage, but no one bailed them out. Mm-hmm. So here's how you got Trump. And, um, and he's, he's very persuasive and very systematic. And you also sense that he's, um, he's a street fighter in the, in, in, in the world of ideas. He likes to be uh, provocative. And an uh, underdog, and he, maybe. Uh, yes, and he, uh, he relishes this, this image of, uh, of this uh, evil mastermind. But, but, but it's not like that in person at all, which doesn't matter. You know, in person, I don't care in person. I don't care about the temperament of politicians at all or their adultery or their relations with their wives. What, what, what counts is, is the policy. Ideas. Yeah. yeah ideology so uh Gadi, anything you want to promote what what's going on in your life like you have you're writing for Haaretz regularly first of all guys you got to check out the article yeah we'll put links to it um yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna back off a little you haven't told the Aritz that I yet but um I feel they're now making me like the whipping boy for being too provocative and I don't want to be the mirror image of their professional provocateurs um yeah Because, because I feel that some of the, some of the things um, I'm, I'm trying to raise are being like the, the question of internationalism versus nationalism um, are being portrayed in uh, screaming language and it's hard to, to articulate them. So maybe it's better to retreat to some academic essays or some other, uh, other forums. And I'm writing the second series of Harem. Um, right um, which uh, is thrilling we're now four writers for this second season did the first season get bought uh, in the world y- yes it did it um, was produced in it was several n- countries it was not it's not yet produced but it was the, it, all deals are not signed yet so okay. I can't say but at least four countries um, are at this stage interested and the, and this is pro- most probably not the end amazing. Um, So yeah, Israeli drama is picking up everywhere. This right. is the series about uh, the uh, the Goel Ratzon, right? Um, yeah. like, the uh, official version is it's about Israeli cults, including the cult of Goel Ratzon. <laughs> uh, and this is a guy who lived with 20 women in, in, uh, in Tel Aviv. And this was, for me, there was a hidden uh, subversive agenda to, to writing this. Because, you know, in a liberal culture... We have deep appreciations for the will to autonomy and liberty, and we have almost no terms to speak about the will to submit. 
the will to be some part of something larger than yourself. And I think this is why we fail to understand fascism. Fascism is not something you impose from above. It's usually a grassroots thing because people have this yearning to be part of something larger than themselves. So this is how cults work. And we had a great time playing with this psychological mechanism because and this is in terms of writing it's a very strange thing to do because you know in when you when you write a tv series there is usually a sun in the middle of your solar system which is your main protagonist we don't have a sun we have a black hole our main protagonist is the antagonist and what people came to see is they came to hate him which relates, I think, to everything we talked about. For yeah, the, most definitely. They, they, they came to hate him. And I noticed writing it that the scenes most enjoyable was when he was most sinister. Because you, you, you work out a passion for revenge against this guy. Mm -hmm. So you build up a whole season on the hope that one day they will tear him down. And then this little up. honest girl is the one to tear him down. And it's, I think, very satisfying. Very cool. So before we go, we have a collaboration with the Jewish Journal in Los Angeles. A very cool and interesting Jewish news outlet. You can check them out at, at jewishjournal.com. And then go over to 2njb.com because we accept uh, donations. Uh, so guys, we do this on our free time. If you guys want to throw a bit of cash our way, then we'll happily take it. <laughs> I can tip you. <laughs> um, thank you so much thank you so Gaddy. much for coming thanks it was fascinating oh, as always interesting. thank you it was great and the interview was amazing so thank good you job. no it's great to be able to speak at length about something bye guys bye